Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We are blasting all the dirt sheet fake news tonight with Eric Bischoff himself. Stay tuned for After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. That's me. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz to After 83 Weeks. We are loving jamming out to our 90s tunes around here lately. I know you know this one. My name is Christy Olson, and we are going to be breaking down all the big reveals, the fan reactions, everything that has anything to do with 83 Weeks right here tonight. And please welcome my panelists for the evening. I think you're uh, pretty well-versed in these guys by now. You know he's running the YouTube channels for all of our favorite wrestling stars. And uh, he got a little name drop this week on 83 Weeks, which we'll talk about. Say hello to Steve Kaufman. Hello, everyone. I, I'm pretty much here for the 90s jams. <laughs> I just turn up for 90s jams. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. And he's still jamming next to you. That's you got the Jamiroquai. Am I sliding back and down? forth like Jamiroquai? No. Is it working? No. Do, do I look like I'm moving on, on the screen? No, but I'm sure you got okay. tons of people to tune in on YouTube. I, hopefully. Just hey, now. I'm Christian Rosenberg. You know him. Hi. We love him. Oh, thanks. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. That awesome. was fun. That was. I loved America. That was cool. That was cool. And of course, we will have the one and only Eric Bischoff calling in just a little bit later to answer all of your questions on Super Brawl 6 and anything else that you're curious about. And while I'm addressing all of you, I I do want to say hello. And I had tons of fun hanging out with our fans in the live chat Mm. last week. Full disclosure, we aren't live. I hate saying that. What? I I hate admitting it, but you guys are smart. You know things anyway. So we we filmed this just right. Did Chrissy just say we're done? Just a little. <laughs> we no, are alive. We oh, are not live. We are oh, in the thank past. God. We <laughs> are, thank God. We are in the past. It is. I was scared. I that was I had, lame, but so funny. I thought I had to call my mom. <laughs> I mean, all all of you are well aware because I think at this point you're watching us. We're all in the chat interacting with you and then talking about us, <laughs> talking about you. Right. It'll be real weird. Just very inception. Barrel through it with us, but uh, we tape this on Tuesday nights, obviously because the episode is released on the YouTube page on Tuesday nights. So we yeah. don't want to do an after show for an episode you haven't seen yet. It's a whole thing. And there's one Eric's free. It's yeah, that too. It's a lot of things. We get the show to happen. But it comes please do watch it. please do join us. On YouTube when we premiere, that is at uh, 5. 5 p.m. Pacific, which makes it 8 Eastern, American Times, all that good stuff. We love to chat with you guys. We're also on Apple Podcasts, too, if you'd rather listen. Make sure you subscribe. Leave us a little comment. We will always shout you out right here on the show. And, oh, let's get back to that little name drop I'm... from this week on 83 Weeks. So we know you all have listened because that's why you're here. So you may have heard Eric bragging about 2018, December. Remember, mm-hmm. Right, he was the most grossing. Give us, give us the whole, uh, give us the behind the scenes scoop on all of this. Here, what the hell was he talking about? And how big has your ego risen? <laughs> um, it has risen double the size it was when he shouted me out on episode two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Listen to us making a big deal out of something that already happened. <laughs> <laughs> this is the second time. I, like, I'm Eric is very good at letting 
people know who the whole team is behind it instead of like some people like to keep up a facade and that's up to them too that it's just now it's everyone or like i yeah I, i really enjoyed that he's letting everyone know and I, I don't have any insight to give beyond the numbers I see. Because I, I run Bruce's channel as well, so I see Was those numbers. Was it like numbers. a landslide? Um, I mean, views are public. So, views are public. So, anyone, oh, can, anyone can look and see. Are you the, responsible for, like, the top five? What do you mean the top five? Like, like as far as the highest gross one. Because you, you have Bischoff, you have Pritchard, you have others. Yes. Um, Am I responsible... I'm I'm trying to give you more even more credit. Yeah, no, no, he's I not agree. It. He's, I, not he's not. It. Oh, I'm involved in Xbox. Xbox did really well last week. I'm involved in a couple different other yeah. channels. I don't think this is what people are tuning in to hear about. <laughs> I I will say they're, all, they're here to talk to Steve. Coffin. I will say views are public, so I wouldn't be out of line to say that Bischoff's channel did about half a million views in December 2018, Dang. and that Pritchard's did did over a million, like 1.1 or so. It's pretty cool. So th- that, those are public numbers. So I'm not revealing anything inside by saying that. And in some way, that sort of makes us number one, too, because we're on his channel. Yeah. I don't know what way, but... You're the after um, show to the number one wrestling podcast in yes. December 2018. Oh, my gosh, you guys. Do wow, we get, it's do like... We, do um, we win something? It's like we don't even have to do anything, but we probably should break should. down this we really, uh, really Super should. Brawl 6 episode <laughs> okay. of 83 weeks. So let's talk about it. This time in WCW, confidence is up. They're realizing, hey, we could be competitive. We might pull this stuff off. All right, we just might. And who comes out of nowhere like an evil villain with his pen or typewriter, whatever the hell they used back in the day? But one huh. Dave Meltzer ready to crap all over WCW's success with this report about Hogan's salary coming out of Turner Home Entertainment's books mm-hmm. instead of out of WCW's, which is what is making WCW appear to be profitable for the first time. I. I side with Eric on this, and I think, and I think the reason it really frustrates Eric is that there are very few credible reporters in wrestling in 1996. Like I think it's just Wade Keller and Dave Meltzer, or in 2019. But like in general, like, there are very so when if anyone is interested in in War- Time Warner as a whole or Turner as a whole, yeah, as a publicly traded company, and they're looking into well, what's the WCW thing? The only reporting they're going to find is Dave Meltzer. And I think that's why one of the reasons Eric is very frustrated is that the reporting is false, but it's reported and therefore and in a in a vacuum where no one else will read it or no one else will read anything opposing it. And what about this idea that Meltzer had really had this whole narrative going that WCW wasn't going to be or wasn't successful and that he had to sort of find a way to spin this profitability in a way that fit his narrative and that it fit the story that he was trying to tell everybody at that time. I mean, it's it's that classic thing of, you know, say your teacher calls you over. Hey, hey, Christy, I just want to let you know that you completed your entire homework assignment. I'm really proud of you. Everything was wrong on it, but you completed it. So that's great. <laughs> that is what Meltzer is saying here. Right. <laughs> he's, just, he's just like, they put on a show. They really didn't get the money, though. But the show happened. Mm-hmm. And No, just shut up. <laughs> uh, um, to be fair, there was... He, he wasn't just making a baseless report. Mm-hmm. The information he Dave Meltzer had at that time would have led him to believe that Hulk Hogan's salary was taken off of the same books that said WCW was profitable. Mm-hmm. Whether that's true or not, I would trust Eric more than I'd trust Dave. For sure. Yep. But I 
I wouldn't try. I wouldn't think Dave would make that up to fit to fit his narrative. Mm-hmm. So much as that's the information he had, right? And the corporate corporate um, structures. Corporate tax structures, corporate accounting structures are really, really silly. And there, there are always two sides to every story. And the thing that always drives me nuts about, and I'm not trying to insult Meltzer, even though I certainly have in the past, but he doesn't get both sides to the story. Oh, this person said this thing. Oh, okay, well, there, there, there's, there's my report about it. Right. Well, how do, you, how do you know for a fact that's what it is? You don't. You haven't heard both sides of the story. Some items he has. Mm. Obviously, things where he just gives opinions on matches, that's just your opinion, so whatever. Mm-hmm. But stories like this, it's just like, no. You know, okay, you got this report from someone. Were they in all the meetings? Were they involved for all the items? All the day, Did they sign whatever contracts are needed? Right. They may, but they may have not. So you need all that information before you can complete a story of this type of magnitude. Mm. I don't care how flat a pancake is. It still has two sides. Wow. I Chris, like it. Christy can, Olsen, Can you everybody. name the, the famous Olsen. television doctor who uh, can be attributed to that quote? Probably not a doctor. <laughs> not, so. not, not a wise one? <laughs> not a so, doctor. Dr. Phil? You got it, kids. <laughs> you got it. Well, let's talk about a little bit some of the other talent and the uh, money dealings going on. This was sort of also a time where it was like they got rid of some of their expensive guys but in lieu, got some guys who ended up being very valuable. Benoit, Guerrero, Lex Luger. Can you guys think back to your WCW fan selves? Do you remember ever thinking like, oh, like they have all the big guys right now. They have everyone I want to see. Or all of a sudden, oh, now there's all these brand new guys that I want to see. Like, is this something you would have acknowledged as a fan? I, I definitely acknowledged the Luger part because... Mm-hmm. I, I knew Luger before he went to WWF at the time. So, I mean, I knew him. And, oh, now he's a big name in WWF. You know, one, one of the main events of WrestleMania 10, um, Body Slam Yokozuna, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember at the time that he made the switch, he was pretty much in a tag team with the British Bulldog on WWF. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching as, you know, 95, so I was 12, and I was just like, this is the strongest tag team in the history of the world. <laughs> Lex Luger and the British Bulldog together as a tag team? No one is going to beat them. Then Nitro premieres, and Luger shows up. And she's like, whoa, he's one of the top guys. But now he's over. But he was just that. I, I don't understand. Ah, the beauty of the Monday Night <laughs> right. Wars era. Right. But then to go back with this podcast and say that Luger only got $150,000 I mean, for wow. that monumental moment. Now, at that time, that's certainly more money than what it is in 2019. But still, for an, a name that he main evented WrestleMania not that long mm-hmm. ago prior to that. Yeah. And you only get him for $150,000. And he shows up on your premiere episode of Nitro. To me, that was the most fascinating part of like the first half of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. But you do understand the way the crystal ball is going to look, though. The crystal do ball, tell. The crystal ball is <laughs> well, the crystal ball is going to go down that he fired. Um, he fired Dustin Rhodes, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and who was the third person that he mentioned? Oh yeah, he did. He mentioned the, the guy three that Dustin Rhodes names. fought on the truck, whose name I can't remember. Um, the truck or the train or whatever it was. That weird match. Ah. Uh, that's going to frustrate me so much because it's in a graphic. It's a whole thing. Yeah. However, those three guys compared to the guys he was touting, like Lex Luger. I think Lex Luger was in the graphic I made, but like those. He, yeah, and then he said Luger Guerrero and Benoit. Yeah. Okay. Then yeah, the, but Steve, the Steve Austin item, may, maybe not the wisest guy to. 
to fire. Even Steve Austin and Dustin Rhodes, because I would argue Dustin Rhodes, wherever he'd go, he'd be there and draw money forever. Mm-hmm. Like when we talk a lot about if the big show is worth what the big show, what you would have to pay the big show, Dustin, I would argue Dustin Rhodes is always worth what you pay Dustin Rhodes. Because mm-hmm. he's going to draw money every night. He's going to get over, he's going to draw money, and he's not going to want to be in the main event. He's like he's definitely a forever mid-card guy, like in our truth So I think between him and Austin, looking in the crystal ball, you're like, oh, they kind of missed out as assets compared to someone like Lex Luger, who was off and on. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, someone who was on WWF was uh, Scheme Gene, as they, as they called the him, which came along with a whole slew of parody WCW characters. So you guys remember these. Yes, these were I major, do. right? Yeah. And now we're getting kind of a little more of the backstage story. Really, we wanted to know what everyone thought at WCW behind the scenes. And Eric basically said tonight, like, hey, we thought it was funny. We knew we had McMahon when he was, and this is their words, not mine, selling like a bitch. Mm. All publicity is good publicity. Pub, I can't say it. We'll get it. All publicity. <laughs> I can say Jamiroquai, but not publicity. That's so weird. <laughs> that is weird. It's a, but it's all good publicity. So <laughs> I, now I'm setting myself up for it. So if they're mocking your guys on their own program, they're advertising your show for you. There is yeah. no issue with this whatsoever. These ads were hilarious. They went for months. And I'm not at all surprised that Bischoff was like, whatever. Mm-hmm. We're just we're making money off this. Mm-hmm. And I would have wondered at the time what Mean Gene, the the original Mean Gene, thought about this. And for Bishop to re- Bischoff to really um, not put words in his mouth or not say like, oh, he told me that this is how he felt. He said, as someone who was observing at the time, I could tell that this was something that hurt Mean Gene's feelings. That made me a little sad. Um, I believe it was the Monday Night War DVD. Or there, or there was a DVD where they specifically had a sit-down interview with Mean Gene, a talking head interview with Mean Gene where he specified that he really, really didn't like this. Yeah. But it was more like an in-character Mean Gene, so we didn't get his real opinions. But I don't... I would also assume he wouldn't have appreciated this. No. That he very much felt that he left that place in a way that he could have come back, and he was fairly loyal to the way they treated him. He was very professional. That, that, that's the key word there, because yeah. everyone always talked about how loyal he was. Mm-hmm. So so he he might take a little offense to that but but at the end of the day in a business all that matters is the money that's being made so if for some reason that was hurting hurting wcw maybe they would have reacted in some fashion to those ads Mm. also as a parody it's not as a parody to go after the guy who has the one nine hundred the shystery one nine hundred numbers isn't like that is completely he's completely fair game yeah, as the on-screen people, if you're making fun of all the all the on-screen people, Scheme Gene is pretty funny. How many times do people do parodies of Miss Cleo? She never saw any of them coming. That's true. <laughs> you guys are on fire tonight we with got, the dad jokes. We got, we, we, and neither of us are dads. It's so weird. <laughs> but you're so ready for it. Well, let's talk about something that. Could be serious had this not all been a publicity stunt, perhaps, but there's a lot of back and forth about wellness policy, about blading, about blood. Bischoff says himself, you know, WWF would kind of set this standard like, oh, we don't we don't do that. And then as soon as WCW would stop doing it, then Vince would have everybody bleeding all over the place. He even went so far as to put an ad in the Times about WCW talent and kind of quest kind of putting that question out mm-hmm. there like what are these guys on? This is very serious subject matter. I didn't 
my understanding of this time is more from the DVDs, mm-hmm. which were made by the WWE. So the the winners would the winners of the war spit are gonna, that Kool Aid out, Kaufman. Like the winners of the war are going to write the books, and like sure. you know that going in. Right. So hearing this this side that there was a New York Times article specifically targeting shareholders, like that's really really messed up. Mm-hmm. But I do like Eric's side of yeah, that's kind of when I knew Vince would never die. Like you have to literally stomp him while he's down. Well, when when was. When was Vince on trial for the whole story? Was it 92, 93? Somewhere, like 92, 93, yeah. So, I mean, to me, that's the mentality of, well, if I'm going down to an extent, I'm taking everyone else with me. That's fair. And, like, he would would be the one to argue, like, I know now. Yeah. I know know what I'm, like, I know what a wrestling company should be doing. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you're doing it. Well, at one point, uh, three guys had to, uh, I guess, have the, what's the word? You get the thing coming down on them. Everybody's doing it. But there's three poor little scapegoats at WCW that Bischoff said, hey, he didn't want to suspend those guys. But it was the party line. He had to do it. Mm-hmm. little blurby blurb there. But, oh, no, wait, never mind. Oh, oh that part. Oh, I'm that. excited. And then there was, oh, yeah, you guys really like that, right, too? And then there was that? Okay. All that. Okay. Let's talk about Brian Pillman Okay, mm. for a minute. Because I know this is somebody who is definitely on your guys' radar. Whenever I hear that they're talking, I'm like, oh, they're going to jump all over this. <laughs> so in this episode, did you get any um, any questions answered regarding Brian Pillman that, you were, that were really burning for you? No. I... Honestly, he hid more behind Kevin Sullivan than he has in the past. Mm-hmm. Like, he's given a little more information in other interviews about Brian Pillman here than Brian Pillman leaving right. than he has. Because I, I can recall a different interview where he had mentioned, I believe it was Brian Pillman's DVD, where Eric had mentioned, yeah, there was talk of him leaving WCW to go to ECW yeah. to claim that he was a WCW guy infiltrating ECW and, like, Really pissing off the ECW faithful, like, and yeah, that sounds cool, but we didn't have any official stance. Like, it was like, maybe we'll have you back. Right. Well, he didn't uh, make Bobby Heenan very happy. Oof. And that's that's <laughs> just a, a, a crime in itself. <laughs> you don't you don't piss off the brain. Oh well, that's true. But uh, Eric has talked a lot about how it worked for him to kind of keep talent in the dark on on some mm-hmm. angles and some things, and that Bobby Heenan was the kind of guy that. Uh, that didn't work for because as you we say, t- we talked about this a few off. weeks ago. Yeah, where I brought up a, a story that I personally dealt with of something low where you kept the the other people right. in yeah, the yeah. dark. Yeah, yeah. I n- no, you should let them know <laughs> that you know. Hey, we're gonna do this thing. This might happen. <laughs> it could hurt. Just letting you know. <laughs> don't freak out at us after. <laughs> and then. Your 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 job is to stay in character and keep your mouth shut. Mm-hmm. So if they fail to do that, so all of a sudden, if if something like that happens, and an hour later, TMZ sees one of them, asks them a question about it, and they're like, "Oh yeah, no, they told me about it." They're like, right. well, no, then that person should be fined or suspended mm-hmm. because they're breaking the code that is in wrestling locker rooms. Speaking of the code that's in the locker rooms and maybe maybe in the boardroom, maybe not, J.J. Dillon is someone who Bischoff kind of went in on last week. Yeah. He's, and he caught like a piece of crap or there was something that he said. I remember writing it in my notes and thinking like, wow, that's, that's really harsh. Piece of but furniture. what they were talking about at the time, 
Yeah, but he definitely like oh, no, busted out some nasty too. words too. Yeah. Um, but at the time, what the story that Bischoff was explaining was not anything that would have warranted J.J. Dillon getting that kind of negativity at him. So I mm-hmm. knew there had to be more. Yeah. And we got it here in this episode where he tells a story of after hiring J.J. Dillon based on the recommendation of Kevin Sullivan at one point. Nash. J.J. Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash. I'm sorry. The other had, Kevin. The, <laughs> the other one. Is there Ian and Ian? Anyway. <laughs> They, that J.J. Dillon had all the WWF stars and their current salaries or their last their last payout, mm-hmm. whatever yeah, yeah. it was. And I think as we maybe could have predicted, because we're getting to know Bischoff pretty well at this point from listening to the show, as we could have predicted, that didn't go over so well with him. He saw it as an act of disloyalty and obviously made him think like, well, hey, if he would do that to Vince, of course he's going to do that to me too. Sure. This was really juicy. And he's 100% accurate. Mm-hmm. I mean... How how would you how would you know all of a sudden, you know, say Paul Heyman gave him a call and was going to offer JJ Dillon more money to go to ECW? How do we know, or how does Eric know that JJ is not going to do the same exact thing to him and show Paul Heyman those checks? Precisely, but yeah. he didn't fire him. He, I found it interesting he didn't fire him. Yeah, but I think he probably needed him at that time. He also probably didn't want to tip his hat to anything that was going on. I also. I can't I can't do a full-fledged BS meter here, but I will say... You're not George. I know, that too. But I will say, if he isn't telling the truth, and he did um, implore J.J. Dillon to get these figures for him, yeah. would he ever admit it on a podcast 20 years later? 30 years later? I think then you just don't tell the story at all, right? No. I, th- I mean, we got through the all of last week talking about J.J. Dillon without him telling it. There, but no, I'm. He but it wasn't. This but it wasn't 1996 when he did last week's That's show. True. Like this was, and he also, as someone who reads the comments, saw a lot of people <laughs> like JJ Dillon. He saw a lot of backlash for speaking ill of JJ Dillon. Yeah. <laughs> so that maybe he needed to reinforce, like, in a world where he isn't truthful, which I'm not saying he is or isn't. Mm-hmm. I am saying he would. This would be a. This would be a story you could tell that no one will or won't refute. Right. Or we have J.J. Dillon on the line. No, we don't. No, he, no we <laughs> yeah. don't have J.J. this week. Maybe sometime, but not right now. I don't think he'd appear on this channel. Yeah, something tells me that that wouldn't happen uh, quite so easily. But um, we did get a little bit of tidbit about the um, legal battle between WWF and WCW about Holland Nash and the trademark infringement for NWO. Not a lot. I'm sure they've done a whole mm. episode on that that I'll have to go back and listen to. But his explanation here was like he just wanted to get it out. It didn't even have anything to do with this episode <laughs> or Super Bowl 6, but he wanted to point out to us that had anyone gone back and watched some footage or if there was some uh, ambitious legal analyst out there, assistant, who could have uh, rewound a little bit and seen... Hall and Nash doing their like um, doing the toothpick thing and all yeah. that mm. WCW that there would have been no base for this lawsuit whatsoever. I mean, like mind blown. Yeah, the only yeah if if all of a sudden Scott Hall came out and introduced himself as the bad guy or Razor Ramon, that's one thing. Yeah, but he went by the name that he went by a his real name b what he went by in AWA and. Did he go by Scott Hall at all? I know he was the um, well DDP was Diamond Stud or whatever, mm-hmm. but but did he go by Scott Hall in his brief time in WCW before he went to WWF as well? I actually don't recall. He probably not. I, okay. He would have had another name if he would a different name. But but we've known him as that name prior to Razor Ramon. Oh, he right. was an established trademark before yeah. that. The only problem is WWE even then 
is the Walt Disney of wrestling in the sense that they are litigious enough that whether you are or you aren't, to prove it in court would cost way more money than it's worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think if you're the Dudley Boys, you just change your name and don't bother. Mm-hmm. If you're Time Warner, you you pretty much go up to a point in the fight and realize, guys, it's going to be cheaper to settle than it would be for all of our billable hours to fight them for years to maybe win. Yeah. And Eric's upset that that's the determination they had, that there were... There's no easy, quick, end-it-tomorrow solution to that case. Mm -hmm. WWE will just keep dragging it out. Yeah, and it sounds like WCW's legal department was really kind of shaking in their boots a little bit about anything that was WWF-related. Eric talked about this one instance where there was a power outage at the arena, and he said something like, oh, um, competition will do anything, or in some way Yeah, they were somehow accusing Vince did it. Yeah, that it was WWF who did it, and then his legal department forced Bischoff to go on air the next week and and say that 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 wasn't true and whatever, because they were afraid that it could maybe be um, defamatory. I mean, and when you're when you're to that point Slander. where your characters can't even really be characters, that's a problem. That's a little much. Like I, especially at that time yeah. when when it was very very gimmick heavy, mm-hmm. aka Dungeon of Ju- Dungeon of Doom, right. very gimmick heavy. <laughs> also, the the Eric Bischoff character on television was very much an anti-authority, anti-WWF. He'll admit that WWF exists. In the universe, that it that it was a completely like, and but he was ultimately a heel, so he was ultimately a blowhard half the time. Like he late, years later would actually challenge Vince McMahon to a match that he would, like, which count. is what he said he wishes he would have done. But like at this point, so yeah. that it, it it fits the character that he portrays on television. That I think, I I think he looked back and really would have wished he dug his heels in on yeah. on legal in this one on that one. Um, I, I apologize. I, I know from reading, again, I read some comments about this episode <laughs> of 83 Weeks, that you guys were really ticked off about the phone notifications that mm-hmm. kept going off and you were mad at Eric and and my shirt is rubbing on the microphone and keeps making a noise, so please don't tweet <laughs> me about it. I'm just going to try to back up a people little are, bit. People are going to tweet you about stop. that. They probably will. They're, gonna, they're not going to notice till right now. <laughs> Until now I just now they're going to listen. They're going to go back. Well, ASMR, <laughs> ASMR enthusiasts are going to love this episode. something really bad. Let's talk about another woman. Not me. I almost just said, let's talk about another woman who liked her wine. Miss mm-hmm. Sherry. We got yeah. a little Sherry blurb on this episode when Conrad kind of took Bischoff to task and he was like, well, I'm getting to this because Sherry was fired the next week. What was going on there? And Bischoff does confirm that, you know, everybody was doing a lot of recreational things back in the day. And like so many others, it was a problem for her. Is this something that we knew before? Yes. Yes. Yeah, and she she had a um, a, his, a history with it. Yeah, but to have it confirmed in this way by her boss, I mean, did this did this shine any light on anything for you guys? Did it did it make you change your thinking about Sherry or honestly, no, her yeah. exit? No, this completely fits the timeline as we understand it, and it yeah. was actually very classy of Eric to not get to not get into more detail to, to not make some um, dirty joke about it. Yeah, well, because the detail, joke because the details are out there, right? And you could probably connect these dots, but he he went out of his way of like that's it's not really my story to tell. Mm-hmm. It was oh well we'll get oh jeez Louise. <laughs> All right, you know what? Let's just jump into it because they didn't have a lot of interesting things to say about the actual show. And that was another feedback that the fans gave to them this week was that there wasn't a lot of coverage on actual Super Bowl 6. 
But their response was like, hey, there really wasn't a lot to talk about. It was more about what was going on up to that time. So you guys can tell me what stood out to you about the show. For me, it was this great behind kind of behind the scenes info about Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth. And I've heard things. I don't know what you guys, I don't, I don't know what the party line is. What things anymore. did you hear? Yeah, please. I've just heard a lot of nasty things about the way that he treated Elizabeth. And I assume that most of those are not true. I have no idea. But in this episode of 83 Weeks, for Bischoff to say no, I mean, as awkward as that situation would have been, for her coming back that Randy was sort of big brotherly. And yeah, of course he was protective, but he was not locking her in a closet, which is what we've heard in the past. Did you buy this? I'd buy that Eric wouldn't know or wouldn't say if there were... I, I buy what Eric is saying, ultimately, but but part of it is I feel like if the rumors were true yeah. and he could confirm them, mm-hmm. he wouldn't. Especially now that Randy's not with us. Yeah, with both, with both of them not being with us, I don't think he would confirm or deny certain things. Like, like similar with Sherry. Right. Or, honestly, similar to Bruce with... Similar to Bruce Pritchard's podcast and the Stephanie stuff, although that really... he His timeline of those events is like, the first I heard about that was like 2016. Mm-hmm. But similarly, like, people don't like, when it comes to Randy and Miss Elizabeth, people don't, I feel like there are people who have things to say that just don't feel, at this point they just feel like if you're digging up the past, all you do is get dirty. Mm -hmm. That there are people who probably have information. I definitely heard that directly from someone who was working right with Bischoff and everybody else at that time. I I have too. (laughs) But I do think, I don't think that, is, if that were to come out now, would that be helpful to anyone? I think that is where everyone who has a chance to possibly True. say something, True. that's where their mind is. It's like, that just, that just brings hate, that, that brings hate and harm to two different families right. that are grieving, grieving people who aren't here. Mm-hmm. But that said, I don't think he had actionable firsthand knowledge, or I would like to think he would have made action <laughs> as, as the guy running the whole show. Right. But we don't know that either. We, o- we only know what he's going to say. Right. Well, was there anything that he said about Super Brawl 6 that made anything make sense to you or that stood out to you? Again, just really, they, they kind of... Um, it reminded, kind of it reminded me down. that Hogan pretty much took out the entire Dungeon of Doom at once. Mm-hmm. And, but, and, but and then lost the next two Nitros. On singles matches yeah. to Anderson and Flair. And, and it just reminded me of the time that Arn Anderson did a strap match in khaki shorts. <laughs> I just get nervous anytime someone starts saying strap or belt or any of those words that I wasn't supposed to say. <laughs> and I don't know. As soon as I start saying strap, I just I start to sweat and I'm like, I can't listen anymore. <laughs> it's a championship. <laughs> it's a title. <laughs> it is a championship. Um, but I will. That you get an opportunity at, not a shot at. <laughs> doing the. Uh, very important. Doing the graphics for this episode, I had to be very careful to not use any of the black and white Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah. But we were very, very close to the Bash at the Beach where all that went down. Yeah. So it's very interesting to see what they were doing with a pre-NWL Hulk Hogan, and I would argue they were kind of at the bottom yeah. of that well. Mm-hmm. And, and and they also mentioned um, with with Sting mm-hmm. during this, I, I, and, and, I, and I remembered that. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right, because this was a time where he wasn't the bleach blonde spiky hair, but he wasn't the crow Sting. Mm-hmm. Right. He was that weird... 
like adolescent stage <laughs> between the two. It was it's like gimmick puberty. Yeah, yes. yeah. That's a that is a great way to put it. <laughs> gimmick puberty. Hashtag gimmick puberty. <laughs> we'll have to remember that one. Well, you know why? I know I know a guy who can shed some light on anything that we've discussed tonight. JJ anything Dylan. that's uh, yes. How did you know? In in lieu of our Q and A with Eric Bischoff, we will be talking to Dylan tonight. <laughs> nope. JK. Just kidding. We have been asking for your guys' questions on social media all week. Remember to always send them to us. And in just a moment, we will be back with Eric Bischoff answering your questions. Stay tuned. Hey, Eric. All right. Um, can I have you adjust your uh, your camera a little bit? Can I have you scoot a little bit to your left? Oh, perfect. Right there. Yeah, I just want to get you centered up. Great. All right, guys. Chris, give me a thumbs up when you're ready. Okay. Here we go. Quiet on the set. Welcome back to After 83 Weeks. Joining us now is a man you all know who has a very spiffy new haircut. Say hello to Eric Bischoff. Looking good there, sir. Thank you so much. That's so, that's so nice to hear coming from you, Christy. I know. Unlike, those, unlike those thugs you have to work with. We, wow. we are quite thuggish. This is true. And they are thoroughly prepared to uh, skewer you tonight, I'm so sure. <laughs> As these fans did, what? How do you consume fan feedback of the shows? Like, are you looking at social media, or do you wait for people to reach out to you? How do you gauge the reaction? Uh, really, social media and primarily Twitter. I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook, and I try to keep my Facebook page somewhat private, um, just so I can keep the feed kind of clean. <laughs> and and I try, you know, to stay active on Instagram, but that's not really my go-to. Uh, Twitter. Typically is. Yeah, they were kind of mad at you for having your phone off this week. Is there any of those yeah. little those little things that you like? You just want to be like, dude, f off. No, actually, <laughs> I appreciate it because obviously it was user error on my part because I, I didn't hear it. You know, Conrad, you know, didn't notice it for whatever reason, so it, it just got by me. So no, I I don't take that as like you know being you know just angry for the sake of being angry. That's good constructive <laughs> criticism. I actually, right before you guys called, I actually went to all my notifications to make sure they were turned off. So, oh, I we appreciate that. Ha ha, Conrad. We get, we get the silenced phone. We love it. Well, let's open up with one from a fan called Big Effin' Gorilla. He wants to know, <laughs> how much impact do you think the WCW versus NWO World Tour game had in WCW's popularity growing? He says he lived in a dorm with only one other wrestling fan and that that game made 40 more fans in his wrestling dorm. That, I think that was a THQ game, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was that was the first really big um, merchandising deal or licensing deal, I should say, that WCW ever did, ever did, and it did have a big impact. You know, it's it's funny when we think about you know movies. If you if you just look at a movie, when a really big blockbuster movie comes out, something in that 150 to 200 million dollar you know budget range, they've got the licensing and mer they've got deals with Burger Kings and McDonald's and Coca Colas and Seven Ups and General Motors. I mean, they've got 
tie-ins with just about every consumer product you can think of. And that's not necessarily just to make money, although in many cases they do, but, but more importantly, it's another way to market and brand the movie. So obviously having a, 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 game, a video game come out that does really well, you thoroughly enjoy the licensing revenue, but what you also enjoy just as much or maybe more in the long run is the ancillary benefit of all of that exposure in a consumer brand area where you otherwise wouldn't have it. So speaking of long-term revenue from assets, did you see any potential in the public enemy as a long-term drawing act in WCW? Yeah, I really did. I like both the guys. Um, you know, I did, I, I want to make it clear. I didn't get to really work with them too closely. Um, they came in at a time when we were kind of at our peak and I was spread pretty thin in terms of just dealing with talent and really just getting to know people. Uh, but but to the degree that I did work with them, you know, I like both of those guys. They were both very professional. Rocco, I just, for whatever reason, kind of developed a little bit uh, more of a connection with. I, it's not like I got to know them really well. But both of them were really, really professionals. And although the style of wrestling that they brought to WCW, we talked to this ad nauseum, wasn't necessarily my kind of style. But I knew a lot of the audience did dig it. And they were great at it. Another guy, um, like as far as revenue, was uh, John Tenta. So obviously we touch on him towards the end of this podcast being the shark at that time uh, coming in with the Dungeon of Doom. I was, I was just kind of curious on, on your thoughts of him because here is a guy main eventing in WWF as Earthquake, makes the switch over as Avalanche, and then he goes into the shark. Do you feel like he lived up to the expectations when he came over to WCW? I want to be careful how I say this. I'm such a visceral person. I just say whatever comes to my mind, and <clears throat> sometimes that's not always great. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I say that the expectations weren't that high, what I mean is no one was looking at John Tenta coming into WCW to recreate the sec success that he had in WWF when, the t when he had it. It wasn't 1980. Eight or eighty nine or ninety or whatever t whatever period it was that John uh, was doing so well in WWE. Time had changed. Certainly, mm -hmm. by the time not, not by the time Tenta came in, but shortly thereafter, the, the style of our own product changed substantially. So, I, you know, I, in terms of my expectations, he he met them, possibly exceeded them because he was such a pro. But it's not like we brought the guy in expecting you know major things. He was a supporting cast member. All right, well, let's fast forward to the future a little bit here. In three weeks on Raw, they're going to be having a birthday celebration for one Ric Flair, who will be turning 70 years old. I'm curious if you've been invited. Do you expect to be invited? Would you like to help Rick celebrate? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I haven't been invited. No, I don't expect to be invited. And as much as I would love to be there and help Rick celebrate, my liver has other plans. <laughs> a, a detox or something a little safer? <laughs> yeah, you know, I just, I've been there and I've done that. Mm -hmm. mm. um, what was your level of trust with J.J. Dillon before he tried to show you confidential WWF information? Oh, good one. Um, you know, it happened so quickly mm. after I brought J.J. in. I didn't really have, I didn't really trust him. I didn't distrust him when I first brought him in because I didn't know him. I didn't really have a relationship with him. I brought JJ in with high hopes 
that I would be able to have someone in my office that would focus just on talent relations uh, that I could trust, that I could confide in, that could help me mm. do a better job in my role. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the incident that you're referring to happened so quickly after JJ literally walked in the door. I mean, I don't think it was the same day, but it was probably shortly thereafter that, you know, I kind of flipped the switch on him almost immediately. So we never really got a chance to develop much of a relationship. When you were actually discussing JJ on the podcast, you brought up a saying that you that you always remember from your mentor as far as, you know, if they took a nickel, they're going to take a dollar. And I always, I always love hearing... Uh, about people's mentors and things that always stuck with them. I was curious. I'm sure you probably touched on it a little bit in your book, but for people who might have not read the book, could you um, could you talk a little bit about who that mentor was and what your relationship was with them? Yeah, this is a long story, and I, you know, I know we have a short period of time here, so I'll try to keep it short. There was a, a gentleman by the name of Irv Mann who was, you know, when I was in my late 20s, he was probably in his 60s, and he was. If you guys have ever seen the movie Tin Man, yes, um, classic, right? I worked – when Hulk Hogan jokingly said I was selling meat out of a truck, I wasn't really selling meat out of a truck. But I was a sales manager for a food processor. <laughs> kind of kind of the thing. But, <laughs> um, and my boss was Irv Mann. Now, Irv was a you – know, like he was like in his 60s when I was in my early or late 20s. He was this Jewish, um, hardcore, old school, kind of like a Tin Man closer um, in, in, you know, old school salesmanship, you know, that, that, that refers to a really strong salesperson that really knew how to close sales. And I was the only Gentile that, that Irv Mann had ever hired during the 30 or 40 years that he owned this company. And not only was I the only non-Jew that he had ever hired, um, I was the only person probably under 50 he ever hired. So th the guys that I worked with were all much, much older than, than I was, and they all knew each other fr from the synagogue. And I came in here, this young kid, nobody could figure out why Irv hired me. And I did ridiculously well, despite, you know, my own shortcomings, I did really well. And Irv kind of took me in. You know, he really taught me not only a lot about selling and about people, when I'm talking about real sales, no, not wrestling sales, um, although that's real too. But <laughs> Irv really taught me about human psychology in, in the sales process, how to read people. Uh, he taught me, you know, when to shut the hell up, although I've kind of forgotten <laughs> most of that. Uh, but he, he ended up being a, a really great friend when, when our daughter was born. Um, you know, he and his wife came to the hospital and brought us, you know, an entire Macy's store full of gifts <laughs> for, for the baby. So he, he became a really, really good friend. But, you know, he was the one. Uh, oh, we might, we might have lost him. I think we have lost Eric very, very briefly. Oh, I think he's back. Oh, there we go. All right. All right. Okay. <laughs> we lost you just at the tail end there, Eric. All right. Well, what I was saying yeah. is, is Irv became a very good family friend and mentored me in a lot of ways outside of just my relationship with him as an employee-employer in sales. What do you think it was that he saw in a young Eric Bischoff that made him want to bring you on board his team? Um, a lot of ambition. Uh, I was a natural salesperson. I'm not going to, you know play that down. I've always been a pretty good salesperson, even though I never really had any, you know, formal training or, 
or experience at that time. I had very little experience in sales, but I've always been kind of a natural when I'm passionate about something. So I was ambitious. I like money. Um, I like proving people wrong. I think one of the reasons I took to that job so quickly is because I was the youngest person that they had ever hired. I was the first person outside of their community that they had ever hired. And, you know, I felt like, well, I'm going to prove something to these guys. And and I did. And I, I've always loved the challenge in that respect. Speaking of stuff you wanted to prove, you never got to prove to the folks at Turner that WCW would be best in Orlando. Do you think... Well, first off, what stopped you from moving WCW to Orlando? And do you think they could have lasted longer or been even more successful if the move had happened? Mm, um, honestly, it was my decision not mm. to go. I, as far as Turner was concerned, if, if I decided that that's what I wanted to do, I, I was able to make that decision uh, without having mm. to ask too many people about it. Wow. Um, and... The reason I didn't quite honestly was because so many of the employees in the office, now, mm. there were like two, there were like two buckets of employees. One bucket was, you know, office employees and staff and production people, that type of thing. And then the other bucket was obviously the talent. Well, the talent was spread all over the country, but the majority of them lived in the Southeast. It's always kind of been that way. Right. Um, so the talent didn't care. For them, it didn't really matter where they flew into. In fact, most of them preferred it because so many of them could just drive to Orlando, mm. those who didn't already live there. Um, but it was really the office personnel, people that, you know, they had families. They had homes. You know, they had kids who were in school. They had wives or husbands who had jobs outside of WCW. And it would have been a major, um, you know, uprooting of their lives to make that move. And eventually that was what convinced me not to do it because I would have had to completely restaff probably two thirds of my office um, by making that move. I'd have to rehire new people and you can't really train people in the business of the wrestling business. Yeah. You can't put an ad in the paper, you know, <laughs> because I want to hire somebody that's got seven years experience in the professional wrestling industry at the highest level. You can put that at him, but unfortunately, there's only like a handful of people in the country that can respond to it. So I, I decided it was you know better in the long run not to do that. Um, in, in terms of you know what effect would that have had on Turner? You know, again, that's kind of uh, I hate to, to you know, try to come up with an idea. I don't know. It's hy uh, hypothetical in a way. I don't think it would have made any difference because the, the idea of moving down here was to save money. And it would have saved some money in travel. It would have saved money in production. Uh, not not sizable enough amounts of money to make a huge difference in the long run, but significant amounts of, of money you know, each year. But I don't think it would have mattered. At the end of the day, the reason WCW no longer existed is because AOL Time Warner didn't want it to exist, whether it was successful or not. That is a fact that people mm. seem to forget or just tuck away and put it off to the side when they discuss these types of things because they think everything, you know, every decision about WCW and why it no longer, you know, exists today was because of spending too much money on talent or this, <laughs> or the finger poke of doom or whatever. Vince Russo killed it. Eric Bischoff killed it. Whatever. None of the above is true. 
What is true, and again, if you read Guy Evans' book, you know, night, I'm not, I don't make a nickel off this book, but it is a <laughs> definitive explanation of what was really going on on the business side of WCW, on the AOL Time Warner Turner side of WCW. And it's factual. It's based on interviews with the principals involved in those decisions. And if you read that book, you'll get a much better sense of how or if WCW could have ever existed beyond when they did. And the answer to that is no, because AOL Time Warner just didn't want them. I want to take a lesson from the Christie School of Questions <laughs> uh, right here, because uh, I was just thinking, you know, over this week, because now we're officially kind of in WrestleMania season. And with WrestleMania comes the Hall of Fame. And I don't know. I'm just wondering if someone might have giving you a call about it, whether it's presenting or or maybe, you know, get in a ring for some, you know, kind of reason. Anything like that. How did that how was that, Christy? Did that did I That was good. Okay. That was I good. I just want to make sure I, I, I did that well. Now we have to make sure we get an answer out of them. <laughs> oh, hold on, my phone's ringing. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> hey Vince, how are you? <laughs> Tell him I said hello. Uh. <laughs> I'll have to answer the same way I answered the Ric Flair question. No one, no. Nobody's called me. No, I don't expect they will. Look, there are, there's still some pretty uh, chapped ass over there yeah. when it comes to you know, my relationship with them. And we have a functional relationship. If you know doing something with me, for example, on the network or popping up at a Raw some, you know, once a year, once every couple of years, if it makes sense for them financially – and they think it'll enhance the product or the experience in any way, I'll probably end up getting a phone call. But beyond that, you know, that's pretty much the extent of our relationship. <laughs> if, if they can make a nickel off me, they call me. If not, they don't. <laughs> I, I don't expect to be getting that phone call anytime soon. And that's okay. It's not, you know, whether I do or don't certainly is not going to define my career or my life. Okay. Uh, speaking of WWE's current product, we talked a lot on this episode about WWE's wellness policy. And my question for you is, what do you think of WWE's current wellness policy and Brock Lesnar not being applied to it? Number one, I don't know their mm. policy well mm. enough to do an, a job, a good job you know, talking about it. My opinion means absolutely nothing when it comes to the details of their policy because I don't know it. Mm. Um, here's what I would say, though. You know, let's look back over the last, oh, I don't know, 36 months. Have we read about, heard about any serious issues or even minor violations of the policy? Do we see people who are overdosing and who are obviously, you know, having issues with drugs or alcohol or both? I haven't. You know, maybe you guys see something I don't see. I think overall, from my perspective as a fan, just like you guys, someone that's on the outside looking in, is that the talent appears to be healthier, more stable, more consistent than they've ever been. Uh, so my impression is that the wellness policy, based on that fact, which is the only one I have, suggests to me that it's working very well. You know, part B of your question, you know, is it fair to the other talent for Lesnar to be on a part-time basis? You know, fairness is in the eye of the beholder. Mm. It always has been and it always will be. Personally, I believe if I got hired today as a talent, if I was 22 years old or 25 years old and I was coming into WWE and they said, look, here's our policy. You know, part-timers, they're not in it. 
You are. You're a full-timer. You're in it. If I sign on the dotted line, I know what the deal is. And if I'm given the option of either signing on the dotted line or not, based on the facts that are presented to me, that's my choice. And if I choose it, then it's fair. Mm. If I decide not to choose it, I may take the argument, I may take the position that it's not fair, which is why I didn't sign it. But, you know, if you're in WWE right now and you're under contract and you're a full-time player, um, you knew what you were getting into when you got into it. So quit your bitching. <laughs> um, I just have one one last simple question for you, Eric. Uh, since, you know, with this podcast, you mentioned um, the great success and congratulations uh, that you have with your podcast for December, <laughs> month of December. Yes, you can applaud yourself. That's fine. We applaud you. Your fans applaud you. Um, I used to pat myself on the back, but it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to say, since... Uh, since you mentioned, you know, my, my co-host, Steve Coffin, by name during the show, he came into the studio tonight. He's speaking in the third person. He came up in a limo. He's just talking down to us now. The blazer is clean <laughs> for once. Yeah, could you just bre- please bring him back to Earth? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very Kaufman-esque. <laughs> you guys have been Kaufman. <laughs> He's not a verb. Oh, no. You just gave him something to use. <laughs> I don't have any response, y'all. <laughs> I love that. Well, keep keep name dropping whoever you should please, <laughs> Mr. Bischoff, and keep bringing us all the good stuff. We'll be talking about uh, Super Bowl three next week, right? You looking forward we to that one? Indeed. We are indeed. I am looking forward to it because that was like early, early in my relationship with WCW, and things were really whack back then. Hmm. Um, but it was still, it was exciting. It was, you know, it, it's not that far from removed, not that far removed from my very beginning, you know, working in the AWA. So it's, it's always fun to go back and look at that stuff. I haven't looked at it yet. I probably will the day before I record. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, I'm really anxious to get into it and talk about it. Well, we look forward to covering all the whackness with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the whack master. <laughs> I love it. All right, that's how we'll introduce you next week, sir. Yeah, make, don't forget I'll get a that. T-shirt. I don't know if I have t-shirts for sale. By this time tomorrow night, you'll be able to buy them on Pro Wrestling Tees. <laughs> nice. I'll be rocking them. All right, well, as always, thank you for your time, sir, and we look forward to chatting with you again next week. All right. Thank you guys very much. Have a good week. Bye. You Bye. too. Oh, love that. Man, we are like, we are smartened up to the hilt. I shall say from these Q&As with Eric Bischoff. And we want to remember, remind you guys to all send your questions in if you want to hit us up on social media and such. Where would they do that at? Christian uh, Rosenberg? Follow me on Twitter at Will Rosenberg, Instagram, TheWillRosenberg, com slash Christian Rosenberg. New shirts are available. And please, as a public service announcement, don't get Kaufman. <laughs> I love it. I am Steve Kaufman. You can find me on Twitter <laughs> almost exclusively at Steve Kaufman. That is K-A-U-F-M-A-N-N, hashtag get Kaufman. That's right. And uh, you can always hit me up at Christy Reports. And also, we are now doing something to wrestle after. An after show for something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard on Sunday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern. That one is live. So join us. And make sure you subscribe to the 83 Weeks channel. Give us a little thumbs up and keep all those questions coming. We will see you next week to cover Super Brawl 3. Have a good one.
Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.